The scripture reading for this morning is from 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Please stand for the reading of God's word. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Almighty, gracious Father, since our whole salvation depends on our true understanding of your holy word, grant that our hearts may hear and understand your word with all diligence and faith, so that we may rightly discern your gracious will, cherish it, and live by it with all earnestness, to your praise and honor through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the vision, the mission, and the ministry commitments of Grace Church. We start this morning with the vision, and the vision is on your screen, and I'll read it for us as well. Grace Church is a diverse, growing family of Christian believers who celebrate God's grace and proclaim the message of Jesus Christ in word and deed to the communities of Greater Rochester and around the world. Now, my sermon this morning is going to focus on what it means to be a family of Christian Believers. The other elements of our vision will be covered over the next two weeks as we talk about mission and as we talk about our ministry commitments from Matthew 28 and from Acts 2, uh, respectively. But here in the introduction, I want to talk for just a minute about those two words, diverse and growing. You may look around and think, is Grace Church really a diverse church? And the answer is yes and no. If you don't limit diversity to ethnicity and think about all the diversity that exists in the world and all the diversity that can potentially exist within our church, then the answer is yes. There's a healthy generational diversity at Grace. There's some socioeconomic diversity. There is diversity when it comes to politics, a diversity of life experiences, a diversity of marital status, a diversity of single and two-parent households, even a diversity when it comes to sin. Some of us sin more like the older brother in Luke 15. Some of us sin more like the younger brother in Luke 15. I mean, my goodness, we're not even all Presbyterian, right? But thinking about all the diversity that exists in the world, can, it also forces us to answer that question, no, we're not as diverse as we could be. Do all kinds of people feel welcome at Grace Church? Do all kinds of people feel like this could be a family that they could be part of? That includes not only people of differing ethnicities, but of differing abilities and facing a wide range of challenges. We say all welcome on our Christmas Eve service sign and on our Good Friday and Easter service sign that we put out front, but do we mean it? Do all feel welcome at grace? Are we accessible to all kinds of people or only certain kinds of people? Are our arms as wide open as the arms of Jesus Christ? So our vision to be a diverse family forces us to ask, why not, whenever it isn't so? You may also look around and ask, is Grace Church really a growing church? And the answer, again, is yes and no. 
Yes, there are new people coming to grace, and we praise God for that. And yes, our discipleship classes are well attended, and our growth groups are thriving, and we praise God for that as well. Growth is first and foremost about depth, not breadth. If we aren't making mature disciples of Jesus Christ, then we are falling short at the very core of what it means to be the church. But given that growth is both depth and breadth, then the answer must also be no, we're not growing as much as we could be. We aren't doing everything that we could be doing to make mature disciples of Jesus Christ, nor are the opportunities that we are providing being fully utilized. So we can grow deeper as a church, and we can grow wider. We long to see people who come to Christ. We long to see people from the mission field. We love and long to see the harvest being gathered in. We long to see people come to Christ. All over the world, the church of God is growing. Even in the most oppressed of countries, will it grow here through us? And so our vision to be a growing church likewise forces us to ask, why not, whenever necessary, and challenges us to change. So by God's grace, we long to be a diverse and growing family, but most importantly, family. A small part of the family of God gathered here in this place. So with that, let's turn back to 1 John and ask, what does John tell us about what it means to be part of the family of God? And there's three things he tells us in these three verses. First, that the family of God is a people loved by the Father. Second, the family of God is a people made complete in the Son. And third, the family of God is a people pursuing, pursuing holiness by grace together. So a family loved by the Father, made complete in the Son, and pursuing holiness by grace together. So let's jump in. First, the people, the church is a people loved by the Father. Now, John said, of course, verse 1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. So let's just kind of step back and ask the question, who are the children of God? Because, of course, it's a very popular, you know, cultural idea that everyone is a child of God, that all people are God's children, and that's not the case. All people are created in the image of God. We have that right from the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. Every single human being is created in God's image and therefore worthy of profound respect and honor as an image bearer of Jesus. Every single human being on the face of this earth is profoundly broken and flawed because of sin. We are, as Francis Schaeffer once said, glorious ruins, created in God's image and yet broken to the core. That's true of every single human being. However, John tells us in his gospel who the children of God are. In John chapter 1, verse 12, he writes this, Yet to all who did receive him, that is Jesus, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
Receive and believe. There's the, the whole gospel is kind of summed up in that, in that uh, verse and in those two words. So all who receive Jesus is to acknowledge a, a profound need, a deficiency, something that you lack, that you can't produce yourself. That is right standing with God. To all who receive Jesus, the one who came himself to live the life that we could not live, a life of moral perfection before God in every way. And then died the death that we deserve to die. Went to the cross taking the punishment that every single fallen image bearer deserves because of our sin. To all who receive the work that Jesus did in our place. To all who receive the grace of God that's offered to us in Christ. And believe that that is true concerning them. Not in some general sense, not perhaps for other people who aren't quite as bad as you are, but for all people, because we're all flawed to the core, to ever who receives and believes has the right, the privilege of becoming a child of God. That's the message that everyone needs to hear. All kind of people need to feel welcome at Grace Church because every single person needs to hear that message. The message of the gospel the good news concerning Jesus Christ. Repent and believe and you will be saved. But what does it mean to be loved by the Father? Again, John said in 1 John 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. The New Testament um, uses, especially in places like Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, the example of adoption in Roman society to help us understand what it means to be adopted into the family of God. So in Roman society, uh, whenever a childless couple wanted an heir to inherit their estate or someone who would carry on their name, they would identify a worthy male, a young adult with promise, and they would adopt him. God turns that model on its head when it comes to our adoption to be his children. Was God childless needing an heir to carry on his name? No. Were we worthy to do so? No way. God's adoption of us is by sheer grace, out of an unfathomable love. God had neither obligation nor need. When it came to our adoption, there's nothing that we did or could ever do to earn the right to being part of his family. And yet he made us his own. Not only that, but in Roman adoption, if the person being adopted had debts, then the people or the person adopting him was responsible to pay those debts. <laughs> How much more when it comes to God's adoption of us? Paul in Colossians chapter 2 said that God, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. No wonder John can say in verse 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. That that word that's translated what kind is a, is a word that, or, or how great, see how great or what kind the love of the Father is, depending on what translation you're using. It's more literally a from what country 
kind of love. So it's a Greek word that would be used if you were, if you were in, a, in a Greek village, you know, you were in a, a, maybe a, a seaport town, and a ship was coming in, and it was a, a ship that you knew that was from another country, and maybe flying a different flag, I don't know. And you would look at that and say, you know, what kind of place is that from? Or, or what country is that from? John is saying that God's love is a other country kind of love. It's an otherworldly kind of love. It's a where is that love from kind of love because there's nothing else like it on earth. That's what it means to be loved by the Father, to be adopted, not just to be forgiven. That would be enough, wouldn't it? For Jesus to come and die for our sins, that we could have forgiveness and right standing before God, to be accepted in his sight. God could do that and yet still keep us at a distance, but he doesn't. He invites us into his heart. He brings us into his home. He adopts us to be his children. And John marvels of that. Where is that love from? What kind of country is that love from? J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, says this, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. That's the message that we're called to take to the world. This reality that we have not just been forgiven, but adopted into God's family, loved with an otherworldly kind of love by a God who didn't need us and yet set his love on us anyway. That's the message we take to the world. Paul, I'm sorry, John tells us in verse one that we should expect opposition when we take that message. The reason why the world does not know us, second part of verse one, is that it did not know him. It's a way of saying, expect opposition when you take this message of God's grace out into this world. Expect opposition because they didn't yet know Jesus, and we're called to make him known. Now, you think to yourself, how in the world could anybody resist this message of grace? But take a look in the mirror. Remember that you once did, and think about the ways that you still do. To be adopted into God's family, to be people among the family of God is to be loved with an otherworldly kind of love. Second, the family of God is also a people made complete in the Son. A people made complete in the Son, Jesus Christ. God is making us like Christ, and he will finish what he started. John tells us as much in verse 2. John writes there, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Paul in Romans 8.29 said this, For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. He's saying there, with the same level of certainty and conviction, what John is saying here. That God will make us like his Son. We will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We will be and are, in a sense, complete in Christ. And when Jesus Christ returns, we will see him, and we will be like him. One day Jesus will return, 
and that work will be complete. We will be like him, John says. We touched on this last week uh, in, our, in our sermon on 1 Corinthians 15 on Easter. Jesus is the prototype, if you will. He is the resurrected firstborn among many brothers. Our bodies will be sown in dishonor, raised in honor. We will be raised like Christ. We will have resurrection bodies. We will be like him in the sense that we too will have a physical resurrected body. We will be like him morally as well. We will be finally without sin as he is and always has been and forever will be without sin. We will be like him in that sense, transformed into his image and likeness, as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 3.18, is being carried on by the Spirit of God in us even now. And we will be with him, John tells us. We will be with Jesus. Just think about that for a minute. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talks about the fact that we Behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ as in a mirror dimly. What's he saying there? He's saying on the one hand that we, that we can't gaze directly on the glory of God in Jesus Christ. It's almost like we have to do so by, by reflection in a mirror. We can't look directly at him. But on that day we will. As in a mirror dimly, in the face of Jesus Christ, which just is a way of talking about the person of Jesus Christ. The only revelation we have of Jesus now is the revelation that we have of him in his word. But one day, one great and glorious day, we will see him face to face. We will see him, and we will be like him, made complete in Christ. Consequently, our lives now must be marked by hope. Look at verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him. Hope. Biblical hope. Now, I've, I've told you this before. Biblical hope is not like worldly hope. Biblical hope is certainty of outcome, uncertainty with respect to time. Worldly hope is certainty of time, uncertainty with respect to outcome. Now, kids who are here, let me break this down, give you an idea of what we mean by this when we talk about biblical hope. Maybe grandma and grandpa come and visit you on Christmas morning. Maybe they don't. Maybe they live a long, long ways away and it doesn't always happen. But when grandma and grandpa come and visit you on Christmas morning, how awesome is that? They always bring candy. Grandma always makes cookies. Way too much candy, way too many cookies. It drives your mom and dad crazy, but that's part of what makes it fun for grandma and grandpa. They bring gifts. It's Christmas. They bring gifts, gifts that have a lot of parts that grandpa has to put together, but that's okay. That's fun too. And you can't wait for them to get there, right? You can't wait for Christmas day to come. You know that they're coming. You know it's going to be awesome, but you don't know if they're coming in the morning or in the afternoon, and that can feel like eternity, right? You wake up Christmas morning before light. Mom and dad are still asleep. You're just kind of like, Let's go, right? Maybe you go into mom and dad's room. We had a daughter who did this, and she would tap usually Wendy's forehead. Just Our other daughter would just come and get right in your face and look at you until you woke up. <laughs> it's like that, though, right, kids? I mean, Christmas morning, you are so excited. You're so ready. And then grandma and grandpa are coming. How awesome is that going to be? But it feels like eternity. Is it going to be morning? Is it going to be afternoon? You just 
don't know, but it will be awesome when they get there. Not just because of the cookies and the candy and the gifts that they bring, but because it's grandma and grandpa. The hugs, the kisses, the love. How awesome will it be? You don't know when, but you're filled with hope. That's what it's like with God. We know Jesus is coming. We know it will be awesome, not because of all the gifts that he's going to bring, but because it'll be him. We'll have him. We'll be with him. We don't know when. We don't know when, but we're filled with hope. Hope because we will be with him. Hope because we will be like him. Hope because it is so sure from God's perspective, it's as if it's already done. The family of God is a people loved by the Father. The family of God is a people made complete in the Son. And then third, the family of God is a people pursuing holiness by grace together. Holiness by grace. Take a look at the second half of verse 3. I'll just read the whole verse. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That idea of, of purity there is the same, same root word for holiness. So pursuing holiness. Or, coming back to the idea of purity, moral purity. We live as the people that we are becoming. That doesn't mean that we're sinless. It doesn't mean we don't sin. In fact, back in 1 John chapter 1, verse 10, John says, if we say we've not sinned, we make God out to be a liar. His word's not in us. It doesn't mean that we're sinless. It means that we're no longer walking in sin. That's not what we're making a practice of anymore. We're no longer defined by our sin. We're not devoted to a sinful lifestyle. There's not an absence of desire or effort to live a holy life. So holiness is being pursued. But our pursuit of holiness is entirely by grace. We're purified. We're made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ, not by our own effort. John told us that back in John chapter 1. Verse 9 John said there, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, in the, um, in the, in the prayer of confession, Eric came up here and he said, when we, when we come before the throne of God confessing our sin, we receive from him not condemnation, but mercy. And the reason why is because of what John just said in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. When we confess our sins to God, God is faithful, and it doesn't say merciful, does it? It says just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The reason why there's only mercy toward God's people when we come confessing our sin to him or anyone who comes confessing their sin for the first time and then becomes part of God's family. The reason why there's only and forever mercy toward those who confess their sin is because God is and will forever be just when it comes to the payment that Christ made. The blood of Jesus Christ covers all sin. Jesus went to the cross, his blood was shed, payment was made, God is satisfied, and he will not charge you again for your sin. It's paid, it's paid in full. God is just, and therefore, God will always be merciful. We pursue holiness entirely by grace. But we pursue holiness by grace together. John's emphasis in 1 John, for all the talk that we even have about 
purifying himself or herself as he or she is pure. This is very much a family letter. John is writing a lot in this letter about the need for us to, who may say that we love God, prove it by our love for one another. He says that if you say you love God and hate your brother, the love of God is not in you. This is very much a call to pursue holiness by grace together. I get that from a passage I preached on a number of months ago when we were talking about gospel culture. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, John wrote this. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light, if we're walking in darkness, it's, it's that we're hiding ourselves, hiding our sin from one another, acting as though sin is not an issue in our lives. John says, walk in the light. Walk in the truth of who you are as a sinner before God, as a person needing his, his grace constantly. Walk in the truth of who you walk in the light, and you will have, and he says there in 1 John 1, 7, not fellowship with God, though that's certainly true, fellowship with one another. And remember that idea of fellowship in the Greek and in the Hebrew, biblical times, is intimacy of table fellowship like a family. Pursuing holiness by grace together that's what characterizes the family of God, enjoying fellowship with one another as a fellowship of the sinners that we are, not covering up, not pretending, but just being real. John is calling us to be a people without pretense, a people who are radically vulnerable, a people who are lovingly bold, a people who are pursuing holiness in the light. So let me bring it back to Grace Church. Will we be a family? Will we be a church where all kinds of people can hear that good news of forgiveness of sin, of adoption to be a child of God, of the promise of completion in Jesus Christ, and then pursue holiness by grace in the light, not alone in the darkness. Will we be a church where all kinds of people, the porn addict, the sexually attracted, same-sex sexually attracted person, the ex-convict, the wayward child, the, the woman who has had an abortion, or the man who has pressured a woman into having an abortion. Will this be a church where all kinds of people can hear and know that at the foot of the cross there's forgiveness of sin, that the blood of Jesus Christ covers all sin, and then find here a family who will walk with them, reminding them of whose they are and who they are in Christ as they learn, as we all learn, to walk in the light of God's love. The family of God is a people loved by the Father, a people made complete in the Son, and a people pursuing holiness by grace together. So again, our vision, Grace Church is a diverse, growing family of Christian believers who celebrate God's grace and proclaim the message of Jesus Christ in word and deed to the communities of greater Rochester and around the world. By God's grace, we embody many of those characteristics already, but we are not yet what we can be 
let alone what we will be. Remember that glorious picture of the future that we are given in the book of Revelation. A people from every tribe, tongue, and ethnos, to use the Greek word, worshiping as one around the throne, all with tears shed for diverse reasons in their time on earth, now finally wiped away. All broken in diverse ways while on earth, now made whole. All having experienced in part what it means to be the family of God on earth, now experiencing it to the full, world without end. Amen and amen. That's where we're headed as a church. We get the opportunity to make something of that future reality visible now in our brief life together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be people who are known as those who marvel at your out-of-this-world love, who just almost can't believe that we would be adopted into your household. And yet, as John says here in this passage, it's true. That is what we are. We are your children now. You are our Father. Lord, if anybody says anything about us, may it be that we're a people who are just blown away by your love, that we should be called children of God. But Lord, would you help us to be faithful to be the church here on earth? A people who is proclaiming that great message to the world, to all kinds of people. It may be that by your grace, all kinds of people are drawn to you to receive the mercy and the forgiveness of sin and the promise of redemption and the hope of everlasting life that we can grow into together as a family. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.